listening to Rattle and Pedal, diversion thoughts on marketing and growing professional services firms. Your hosts are Jason Malicki and Jeff McKay. Okay, Jeff. So the last time we talked, you asked me a question and I I didn't really feel like I had a very good answer. Uh, you, so well, I guess I'm minute. asking wait for a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. What's that? I don't think you stated that properly. Okay. I think what you meant to say is last time, Jeff, you asked me several brilliant questions. <laughs> okay. So last time, Jeff, you asked me several marginal questions <laughs> and I didn't feel like I had a good answer. So I, I'm asking for a redo. Oh, a mulligan. All right. A mulligan. Actually, it's not really a redo. In fact, I actually think I, I alluded in the question that you asked me that it was the subject of a whole separate podcast. And so we are here to do that podcast. So the question you asked and the question I want to dive into today is how do you accelerate success in thought leadership? So that's the central topic. I like that. I mean, that really is the core of what professional services marketers do. And I've always held, this thought just occurred to me, one of the big drivers in professional services is innovative ideas. And I've done quite a bit of thinking about, well, what's an innovative idea? I have come up with all kinds of systems and things to put against that and developing thought leadership. But you know, the answer I came to, because I saw this play out time and time again, the innovative idea for a client is the one they haven't seen before. And in a profession where differentiation is measured in inches, if not millimeters. Let's hope not. Getting, <laughs> right? getting to your buyer with your idea first is critical in owning that attribute of innovation. And I came to appreciate this, I think, when I was at Towers Parent in the HR space, that our systems, our processes, our CRM, our thought leadership development, and commercialization, an ability to segment by function and buyer level and buying power and key account and other key attributes like that and get out our message to them quickly in an appointed way led to incredible success in terms of market share. We moved from kind of a parallel to almost double the market share of our nearest competitor in the years I was at Towers Parent. And one of it was the quality of the thought leadership. It was exceptional, but I think also the speed to market was really something. So this whole concept of accelerating the journey, not just the development of the ideas and commercialization of them, but the execution and the systems you put into place to execute them is critical. It really is critical. I think the tagline on this podcast is divergent thinking. And I'm not so sure I agree with a good chunk of what you just said. And the notion of being to the buyer with the idea first is the sort of the, the, the section I'm going to call out. And have you ever seen Bob Bidet's talk? It's online of his experience riding the re-engineering the corporation bubble. So he was the lead marketer on Michael Hammer's work on that during the time in which Hammer had that discovery and wrote the book, Reengineering the Corporation. And he reflects on the journey that he sort of experienced riding along with that. And one of the really interesting things of the talk is that Hammer has the discovery. He frames the book. He has the big idea. It's his big idea. 
and he rides it to tremendous marketplace success. I don't remember the numbers, but let's say it gets him four to six X sales on whatever the firm he was in was doing at the time, right? Mm -hmm. Bob's contention is that it was a billion dollar market and he only grabbed maybe, if he was lucky, 2% of the total market. And it was the big mega firms on the back end that rode re-engineering the corporation to significant paydays. And so I would argue in that scenario that Bob maps out, they were the fast followers. They came along and were able to operationalize the big idea that Hammer got to market first. So I'm not convinced that being the first to market with your idea is the path to success necessarily. Interesting point. I would argue it's having the the best thinking, right? So to dial back for a second, you know, one of the, the things that maybe came out of context when I presented some of the data in our research in the last podcast, this notion of the four to seven year window that I describe. And I think this actually got out of context at the event too, as well, by the way. When, when I presented that four to seven year window and said, the leaders, the best at thought leadership are most likely to have been at this in a four to seven year windows. Everyone sort of presumes me to be saying that you need four to seven years for this to work. And that's further from the truth. I'm saying you need four to seven years to be the best. And my argument would be Michael Phelps is the greatest swimmer of all time. He didn't become the greatest swimmer of all time in one year. It took him a lifetime. Right. So if you want to be exceptional and you want to be at the absolute top of your game, it's going to take some time to go fast. Right. You need to almost slow down to go fast is sort of another message that sort of came out of this event to me. So when I talk about that four to seven year window, I'm not necessarily saying, hey, we're going to do thought leadership and we're going to wait four years for this to percolate and us to get some revenue out of it. That would be insane. And I can't imagine any leader waiting four years to see commercial success from something. But my contention is that our research tells us that four to seven years is what it takes to be exceptional, to be doing this exceptionally well. And so the central question you asked that I think is interesting is, can you accelerate that? Can you accelerate the path to, to being exceptional? Setting aside my you know, minor to major disagreement with your, with your comment. <laughs> I'm going to not interject one of my big butts here. <laughs> I think you raise a good point, and so does Bob. There was a huge market for those solutions. There are additional operational things that need to be accomplished that support the promotion of it. Well, I think it goes beyond promotion, though, right? It's operation of it, right? It's operationalizing it. So it's not just promoting it. It's saying, okay, how do we actually operationalize this at scale that in some instances only a certain firm can do. You know, one of my faculty members from business school always liked to say that he thought the first mover advantage was complete BS. And his message was always that, what did the pioneers get? They got arrows in the back, right? Anyway, I cut you off. Go ahead. Sorry. I think to some degree, we're either splitting hairs or comparing apples and oranges. Because one is an idea of finding a learning, an ability to get that idea out there, communicate to the market. And then there's the dimension of being able to deliver on, you know, that promise of some result. And those two have to be in balance. And to me, the acceleration combines both of those axes. When I talked about what happened at Towers Perrin, we're, we're talking about an ability to communicate a promise, an idea, 
a solution to the market. What Bob is saying is you also have to have an ability or scale to deliver on that idea. And the firms that were successful in building that out, build out or supplemented existing business models to do it. But I agree with you. It, it takes both axes of that scale. I just, in want order to, to I just want to pause for a moment and just emphasize that you agree with me. So it's bask part. in that moment. In part. <laughs> in part. I won. I won. No. Anyway. Once again, me. you didn't think about it holistically or strategically. You just thought <laughs> it one dimensionally. And I... Actually, I'm the one who had the second dimension. You're the one who neglected the entire operational delivery of this thing. Anyway, I digress. Okay. So our <laughs> listeners are getting bored. <laughs> You've clarified what you meant in the last Correct. podcast. So dot, 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 keep going. Okay. Well, so my suggestion would be that you can group this into three buckets. You can say there are things that we can clearly accelerate if we want to be exceptional. There are things that are really hard to accelerate that we probably can't accelerate, but they're difficult to do. And there are things that really just you probably can't accelerate. They just they just can't be accelerated because there are things that just take time. You know, I don't know what a good example is, but, you know, a, a great glass of wine. I'm not a wine drinker, but, you know, a great glass of wine takes time. If, if you don't let the wine sit, if you open it too soon. It's it's no good. I know a very avid wine collector who would say you never buy wine by the bottle. You buy it by the case. Because, you know, you open it first year to see if it's any good and it's not good. And you keep doing that until it is good. And then when you finally realize it's good, you have you have no wine left. <laughs> so anyway. What a strategy. Uh, of course, this was also like a billionaire who bought wine by the vineyard in reality. But anyway, okay. so, so the things you can accelerate, you know, we the, the biggest one you clearly can accelerate. So if you want to accelerate this is reach, right? It's very realistic and probably highly suggested that you look for ways to accelerate reach quickly. So if you want to have your thinking be really making the market or shaping the market, then there are arbiters of quality that can enable that to happen, right? So one of the big takeaways from our event this year certainly was that most of the people we put up on stage that were sort of exceptional at this and, and really at the top of their game had published, right? They had published a book. They had published an HBR. They had published in a highly prestigious, well-known publication. And that publication both infers quality on their thinking and then, of, of course, accelerates their reach. It gets them in front of a much wider audience than they can reach on their own. So that's certainly something that you can accelerate with, with someone who's talented and knows how to approach those types of publications and how to help you get your thinking placed, right? So I think that's one of the big places you can accelerate quickly. Certainly, you can obviously throw money at something. So if you want to get success quickly, you can throw money at thought leadership um, through paid media You can accelerate traffic to the, the thinking itself through paid. So that's sort of the first obvious place you can accelerate if you want to get outstanding outcomes quickly. The second one we touched on last time is talent, right? I mean, obviously, you know, if you want to think about sports programs, sports analogies for a second, if you want to be an elite athletic program, you know, in the, we'll say university circles, right? One of the first things you can do is hire elite talent, right? You go open up your wallet and bring in really talented people. So bring in people from organizations that are already firing on all cylinders who have the ability to bring some of those best practices to your organization. So we talked about that last time. I think that's fairly obvious. You can bring in, McKinsey's got a, a wealth of, of seasoned, talented editors over there leading thought leadership that certainly could probably be 
enticed out or whatever. Or you should certainly you can go get external experts, outside experts, you know, Bloom Group or organizations like ours who've had success on these roads and can help you navigate it more more quickly. What's hard to accelerate? So that's the stuff that, to me, you can clearly accelerate. The stuff that I would argue is hard to accelerate, and you'll probably really chime in on this, is culture. You know, one of the big findings in our research was just that, just like anything, if you want to be successful with thought leadership, if you want your intellectual capital to really perform, you need to get cultural buy-in to make that happen. And that's in just sort of all kinds of dimensions, right? It's senior leadership buy-in, it's connections within subject with subject matter experts and salespeople. So it's sort of just all these different moving parts. And it, it seems to me that that's always difficult to accelerate. It's difficult to change a culture. If a culture doesn't believe this stuff is important and valuable, you can't quickly and easily move that ship. I mean, if the Titanic is going in this direction, you can't easily turn it, right? I mean. Now, there's some, I have some thoughts on things that you could, should do to affect cultural change, but that's not going to happen without some time. As the culture guy, I will let you chime in on that. Absolutely. If it's not important, people aren't going to do it. Yeah. Now, the, the biggest takeaways I've had over time is just if you want to affect cultural change in this area, there's a couple ways to do it. You know, one is to, to get quick wins. So identify wins you can have early that will get excitement and acceptance from key people in your organization that can become sponsors and backers. And what do you call a quick win? I mean, a quick win could be anything, right? It could be getting published in an industry trade journal, something that you know your clients read that will create client conversations. So when the partner is talking to one of their best clients, the client says, hey, I saw that article you guys published in XYZ the other day. That was really well written. That's going to get them saying, oh, our clients are paying attention to this, right? So that could be a quick win. A quick win is anything close to the money, right? So anything that you can do that's going to put great thinking in the hands of a partner or business development manager to enable a sales conversation, a better sales conversation that's going to make them say, hey, you know, I took this into the sales dialogue and boy, it really helped me. It, it, it was really well received and it was really helpful. Anything that gets you close to the money is always, is always helpful. And then I would say other quick wins are just anything you can do to engage clients in the thinking. So getting active existing clients to really consume the thinking and internalize it and begin a conversation or at least make them aware of it so that it comes up in conversation with partners and business development leads or, or account, you know, account leads is going to be stuff that gives you quick wins. It builds excitement and interest for what you're trying to accomplish in the long run. All right. I agree with that. I wrote a blog post not too long ago related to culture and engagement around things like thought leadership around a mantra that I established after about a decade in professional services. And it is that I don't beg, I don't babysit. I think that was born out of a lot of work around thought leadership and thought leaders. And the, the thing that was related to that, that really paid dividends for me and in terms of quick wins and accelerating our efforts around the subject was dividing and conquering within a firm and going mm -hmm. after innovators and early adopters of new ideas and just totally ignoring everyone else in the firm and focusing only on those few people 
and concentrating all of our, our resources, time, money, and effort around those paid huge dividends in terms of market impact. But it also demonstrated, to your point, Jason, the quick wins that are needed to move the culture. I think you're spot on there. I love the way you describe it, too, because... In every practice, it seems to me, there are some people that are forward thinking and want to try a different approach. And yeah, like you said, you lean in and give them your energy. And I've talked to a number of our clients and that's what they've done as well. And just sort of ignore the naysayers. Say, well, I'm not going to put my energy with the people that aren't interested. And eventually, if, if the early adopters start to see some traction and get some success, the naysayers are going to look over and say, oh, hey, that looks pretty good. I want some of that, right? Mm-hmm. So it makes a lot of sense. And I think related to that is it's it's hard to accelerate, but it is something that you could also accelerate fairly easily. And I think most firms fall into this trap of, of trying to do too much too fast mm-hmm. and or jumping on some fanned bandwagon. And I think if you're going to accelerate and make that acceleration a lot easier is you have to focus and you have to play to your strengths. And that means picking one, maybe two topic areas of thought leadership that you want to be known for. And two, choosing only the channels that play to the strengths of your thought leaders. You're listening to Rattle and Pedal. Divergent thoughts on growing your professional services firm. Your hosts are Jason Malicki, principal of Rattleback, the marketing agency for professional services firms, and Jeff McKay, former CMO and founder of strategy consultancy, Prudent Pedal. If you find this podcast helpful, please help us by telling a friend and rating us on iTunes. Thank you. Now back to Jason and Jeff. All right. So that brings us to the third bucket, which is things that I would argue you can't accelerate. The first I shared in our last conversation on this topic, which is really search. I I just don't believe you can meaningfully accelerate your ability to rise in search results on a brand new initiative, initiative for a brand new firm. The second is learnings. I, I just, there, there's, I know for me, the act of content development, the act of thought leadership development is also the act of knowledge development. And so as we work at this as an agency here and for our clients, there's pattern recognition, there's new layers of complexity and understanding that just sort of emerge over time. And even if you you bring in new resources or external talent or whatever, there's there's some just learning that occurs on the journey that just comes and just has to come. And I just don't see that accelerating in a meaningful way for one firm over another. I don't see any real way you would accelerate that uh, in a meaningful way. I'm not saying you couldn't do things on the margin, but I, to, to, to accelerate it aggressively would, would seem to be unrealistic. I'll push back on that from this one dimension. Well, you are kind of a one-dimensional guy. And it and it gets back, it gets back to your culture comment that you mentioned earlier. My experience has demonstrated that oftentimes consultants are risk averse. 
and they like to move slowly. Let's try a little of this. Let's try a little of, of that. And one of the things that I've found accelerates learning is being in action and to reduce that time of inaction so that you're putting something out in market, you're seeing reactions from it, you're adapting and learning from it happens much more quickly when you're in action. A lot of consultants want to perfect their idea or the packaging of their idea before they put it out there. I think they could accelerate the learning in terms of the idea's viability and the process of the development if they were just in action and less worried about being wrong. Well, uh, there's so many, there's a number of layers to that. I think we're we're splitting hairs again, perhaps. But I'm sure you've read the book Drive by Daniel Pink. Mm-hmm. It's about ten year old book, right? And one of the central premises of Pink's argument is that if you're going to be phenomenal at something, there's a certain time component to it. And he makes the case for a ten thousand hour scenario that it takes ten thousand hours to be exceptional at something. And I would argue that this sort of falls into that bucket, that notion of The only way to accelerate the learnings is to accelerate the pace at which you consume the 10,000 hours. So yes, if you're doing this a little bit here, a little bit there in the context of other client work or whatever, and you're not really vesting resources towards it in a meaningful way, then to get to 10,000 hours maybe takes 10 years. But if you really hunker down and, and, and focus in on the task really, really sharply for in measured bursts, you get there faster, right? So I would argue I'm talking about that type of learning, which just requires time. It's, it's you know, you're, you're not going to go out and master a, a serve. He uses that as an example in the book in tennis. You're not going to step on the court and master a serve without just a significant volume of time and practice. And that's the type of learning I'm speaking to. But I totally agree with everything you said anyway, <laughs> which, is, which is just that. Yeah, I remember early in my journey, I'll just tell a personal story. The first article I ever really wrote that I put pen to paper and published it and put it out in the marketplace, I remember really obsessing over every last detail of that article and thinking in great length about what I was trying to say and how I was trying to say it and being really scared to publish it. And that barrier dropped for me significantly over time. You know, soon the barrier was much, I was much more comfortable putting thinking out, maybe even sometimes before it was entirely baked, just to get some sense of how receptive people were to it. So I totally agree with you that there's that that sense of over baking things that gets into firms DNA that they need to shake out of if they want to accelerate things. But your, your big but, there's certain things that just, that just are going to require the 10,000 hours syndrome. There's just no way around it. Oh, Whether it's 10,000 hours or 4,000 hours or 12,000 hours, doesn't matter, right? Mr. Malecki, Mr. Malecki, yes. I'm not going to give up on you. It's funny that you mentioned this and you mentioned Pink because Drive, Jeff Colvin wrote Talent is Overrated, Gladwell wrote Outliers, and they all use this research and the 10,000 hours kind of be conventional wisdom. If you listen to, it was a recent Freakonomics podcast. They had 
uh, both Gladwell on there and Erickson, who was the original person of the 10,000 hours uh, research, totally debunked the 10,000 hours. And it is not time-based. It's deliberate practice-based. And focusing not on the time you're doing something, but the specifics of how you're doing it. And you kind of alluded that in your answer. And I think that's where the acceleration can take place if you're deliberately practicing or testing ideas. That's where you can accelerate. You can can debunk the 10,000 hours and that's relevant. I don't really care about that. That's not my point. My point is there is a time continuum of that deliberate effort that is going to be required no matter what. You're not going to be step out on the court and serve at the caliber of Federer without work and practice. And I don't care how deliberate you are or how passive you are, you will never be at the top of your game without that deliberate energy and resources put for it. I don't care if it's seven hours or 10,000 hours, whatever the number is, is irrelevant. It's just the fact that there is work that has to be done. And if you're starting at a place of zero, that work is not done yet. And so whether, no matter how deliberate you are, that work's going to take some length of time to do. And so it's sort of irrelevant. The the, the number's irrelevant. I can't believe you just said that to our listeners who live and die by the billable hour. (laughs) Well, you're saying, and we're there just went a listener, there just went a listener. As they think, oh my gosh, listen to these guys. The point is, what can you accelerate? An acceleration from 10,000 hours down to 7,500 hours or 5,000 hours is the acceleration. That's what we're talking about. How can you, if you're saying it's going to take you 10,000 hours, how can I get it down less? And there are ways. If you want to serve like Federer, you need a coach like Federer. You need to practice a lot of hours. Yes, I I won't argue that. But if you're stumbling through it on your own, it's not going to take you 10,000 hours. It's going to take you 20,000 hours. Correct. But we also also already covered all that stuff, right? We already covered that stuff under the the lens of what, what can you do to accelerate? And like you just said, you bring in talent and the talent is the coach. The talent is the expert practitioner, right? So those are some of the things we already covered. So I, I would I would argue that those are the those are the levers you already moved. The, the lever that's left is your own ability to accept and consume new knowledge and new insight, whatever that ability is. So that's a number that's pretty hard to move, I would argue. Whatever that number is for you, I don't think the number matters. But but yes, you move those other levers to, to change that those hours. Absolutely. Totally agree with you. But there's a certain amount of time and reflection that usually it takes to unlock new layers of knowledge. And that's probably not going to change that what that element of your personal journey is not going to change, but for other external influences you apply against it. That makes sense. Yes. We we agree, actually, in the in the consensus. I think we agree that I'm right. <laughs> I'm teasing. The one point that I will make that I have think kind of ties everything together is the concept of focus. You can't be a thought leader on every subject, on every industry, in every situation. And you have to find your spot and go after that. That's common sense, but it doesn't always play out that way. 
once you pick your your spot, you have to tenaciously go after it. You know, the research, the thinking, client cases, case studies, those are all important in focus as well. But I also think it's really important to focus on one or two channels in terms of the distribution. We started this talking about reach. It's hard for a single person to be phenomenal at writing and creating videos and doing podcasts and having the time to do that. I think there's synergies across those mediums, but consultants have strengths in public speaking or writing or analysis. And I think the thought, the best thought leaders know their strengths and they play to those strengths as individuals. But I also think firms do that as well. And I think that's a very important point to drive home as well. I mean, you may have actually the killer app there on, on acceleration. Focus is the killer app. If you really want to accelerate this thing, the more focused you can be as a firm, the the better likelihood you're going to unlock sources of new insight and new learning and accelerate your journey, you know, to where you want to go. One caveat I would have is that obviously the research that we are operating from that I'm using as the reference for a lot of this podcast and the last podcast is firm-based research. So it, most of the, the entities in that study are larger, right? So the mean firm has like $500 million in revenue. I mean, it's broader than professional services for that reason, obviously. So I totally agree with what you said, except I would add the complexity of that. You're talking about being exceptional across a firm, which has lots of personalities, lots of maybe lots of practices, lots of different things going on. And that may be a little bit more complex, of course, but the but the intent is still true, which is that if you've got a group of partners that really are not comfortable in an audio setting or whatever, then why would you put them in a podcast or put them on stage? Right. That's just that seems logical. So like I said, it it seems like common sense, but it doesn't always play out that way. <laughs> Our podcast, case in point, I'm teasing. <laughs> yes, yes. I want to thank you for the heated discussion. Uh, you know, I would say this is probably one of our more contentious discussions, which I enjoyed. And, and it's probably good for our listeners. And, uh, lots of points of agreement and lots of points of disagreement, which was really cool. So, Well, I think you should go start practicing because you still have a lot of work to do. I'll do what I can. I'll talk to you next time. <laughs> and there are... There aren't fewer hours in the day and you need as many hours as possible. Yeah, what can I say? Some of us <laughs> like to do things the right way. Otherwise, I like to do things the short way. Thank you for listening to Rattle and Pedal, divergent thoughts on marketing and growing professional services firms. Find content related to this episode at rattleandpedal.com. Rattle and Pedal is also available on iTunes and Stitcher. Go, go, go.